and we're, we're doing this long enough that this actually progresses for about 25 minutes where she gets right up to the edge and steps back. And she's mentioning stuff like, you know, I, I had a bad experience the last time I did something like this. And she starts, you know, kind of sharing about her past and the excuses. And again, this, this persists for so long that the neighbors start noticing and their boats and in their houses. So a couple of the neighbors and, uh, on the lake house, they're in their boat and they start cranking the music. And then, so they're, they're joining in with the fun. They're like, they start playing perfectly themed music now. I mean, it's, I believe I can fly, <laughs> you know, and it's like, and then, and then, okay, that doesn't work. So then it's jump. And then it, it, it's like, and so we just one song after another. And, and Sarah, you can just hear it. She, she's getting in her head. The, the whispers have started that she's, you know, we're cheering her on. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm joking, I'm a pastor, so I'm like, trust in your eternal life jacket, you know, got to bring the Jesus puke in there, and so, uh, so we're just joking and, and laughing, come on, Sarah, you can do it, and, you know, her, one of her sisters even is like, here, I'll hold your hand, and we'll go, and finally, after about 25 minutes, after about 25 minutes, uh, one of my brother-in-laws gets up and says, all right, grabs her hand, we're doing this together. Let's go. And in that moment, as he grabbed her hand, she eventually, they jump in the water together. And in that moment, she put faith over fear. And you debrief with her a little bit later, and you ask her, Sarah, what finally made you decide to jump? And it was two things. It was someone there holding her hand, willing to jump with her into that water. And the second thing was because he says, I know you joked about it, but it really was. It wasn't a trust in my eternal life jacket. She had a trust in her Savior, Jesus Christ, so that if she jumped, if something bad happened to her, you know, we had all jumped, but then she knew that she was right with God, that she had trusted in Jesus, and that enabled her to put faith over fear. Turn to your neighbor and say, faith over fear. Two years ago, my family and I, we moved from Kentucky to the Pacific Northwest. And we did so uh, to start a new church, to be in proximity for people who, who don't have an opportunity to know Jesus or, or get connected with Jesus or his church. And what you need to know is that I get to stand up here in front of you because of faithful men and women who have gone uh, before us, who have invested in Ruth and I's life. When we were married, we said we would go uh, wherever, whenever. And that was, it's an easy thing to say when you're newly married and you're, you're doing your best to follow God. Uh, it's a whole lot harder when it actually comes into practice. And so we moved to the Pacific Northwest, not because we saw some stars align or we saw a burning bush that says, you know, this is where you're supposed to go, but because faithful men and women were there providing us counsel and wisdom and said, you can do it. You can follow God wherever, whenever. And through that, there's been ups and downs. It's not been all rainbows and unicorns. There's been victories and there's bur been burdens. There's been uh, awesome wins and there's been, there's just been some losses. And it was about a year ago that we were just in one of those lows. We had been here a year, and we were trying to figure out, what does it look like to start a new church? 
And it was in this low that I was just really agonizing about one thing in particular. What in the world are we going to name this church? We didn't have a name yet. We knew we were here. Everyone says, you're going to go plant. And we're like, yeah, but what is the name of our church? And it was in one of this, in, in this low where as we were just trying to find our footing, we had been here a year, thousands of miles away from family, trying to figure out what it looked like to start a new church, that God drew my attention uh, to Psalm 22. And so that's where we're going to be this morning. It's kind of in the middle of your Bible. So if you want to flip there and be able to, to read along with me, we'll be in Psalm 22. But as soon as I say that we're going to be in, in Psalm 22, uh, some of you know that psalm, that, that, that psalm rings true in your heart. But prior to almost a year ago, the only thing I knew about Psalm 22 was that it came before Psalm 23. That was the only thing I knew. But in my time with Jesus, this psalm began to shape some of my mind and thought, and ultimately, this is where the name of our church comes from. And so God used it at a time to just comfort my soul and name the church. And so Psalm 22, psalms are poetry. Uh, they're, they're poetic and they're written by different authors. And this one likely comes from David. But Psalm 22, verse 1 and 2 says this. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from my deliverance? And from my words of groaning. My God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. By night, yet I have no rest. The opening words of this psalm, you can hear the agony in the author's voice. Likely, I, I picture the, the author, it says a Davidic psalm, if you look up by the heading. So maybe David wrote it. But I, I can just picture David. Um, if you don't know, know who David was, he was a king in the Bible. Um, but he wasn't always, like, on top of the world. See, David was a, a shepherd boy, was one of the youngest in his family. He is the one who kills this giant Goliath. But what's so crazy about David's story is he's actually anointed as Israel's king and doesn't actually get to sit on the throne right away. The, the original king, Saul, actually chases and hunts David down for years after he's been anointed king. So I can picture... David, God's chosen king, on the run for his life, sitting in a dark cave, going, where are you, God? Where are you? This is not how it's supposed to be. You've chosen me as king. You've anointed me, confirmed it by your prophets. But yet I'm running for my life. Circumstances are far from ideal. He's been asking, where are you, God? This is not how it's supposed to be. Some of you have asked that very same question. Where are you, God? In the midst of my pain? In the midst of my trial? In the midst of my relationships, my finances? In the, list, in the midst of just tensions with, my family, with your family? You've asked that question. God, where are you? Please, don't forget me. I need you. I don't know, maybe a loved one's died. The person 
close to you gets diagnosed with cancer. A friend is faced with injustice and the system just seems so broken. Maybe you struggle with paralyzing anxiety and depression and you just merely want it to stop. Maybe you can't seem to catch a break with friends or finances and you just hesitate to get your hopes up because in the back of your head, those past experiences, they, they just whisper in your ear, they won't work out, they'll hurt you too. And whether you've said that yourself and you feel that yourself, there are people in your neighborhood, in your workplace, on your street, and in your school who are asking that very same question. Where are you, God? Because it feels like God has just vacated the scene. And what I love about David is in his moment of anguish, in his honest cries to God, is he just doesn't stop with how he's feeling and what he's experiencing. Verses 3 through 5 say this, But you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. Our fathers trusted in you. They trusted in you, rescued them. They cried to you and they were set free. They trusted in you and were not disgraced. What David does in this moment, when he looks around at his present circumstances, when he's asking the question, where are you, God? He goes back to two instances of God's prior faithfulness in his life. He goes back to, to when God rescued the nation of Israel out of slavery of Egypt. And he goes, God, you were faithful then. Be faithful now. And he trusts in that. And what's so beautiful is because this tension where David looks at his present experiences and he feels this very real situation, this weight and then he looks at God's past faithfulness. And he wrestles with this tension for about 20 verses. This dual perspective of God's willingness to rescue his people and bring justice to wrongdoing. With God's prior faithfulness, he says, God, I know you've been faithful. I know you will do this again. And he wants God to be consistent with who he's always been. So I have to ask you this morning, do you believe that you worship the same God today that is the same God that's in the Bible? Is the God today that we worship that's living and active the same God that's been faithful in the story of the Bible? So if that is true, if you would say, yes, I'm a follower of Jesus, I'm a Christian, as believers, we have to put faith over fear in our present circumstances as we look at our lives and the world around us. A few months back, I was faced with an opportunity to, to really practice this faith over fear. We were looking for a space to meet as a young church. Uh, we were trying to figure out uh, what that looked like, and uh, we were planning for an Easter uh, Sunday gathering. We were going to do a uh, a worship service, or so we thought, and we thought this would be a good kind of teaser to get everybody ready for our fall launch. We we're going to do this Easter uh, worship service, and so that was our plan, and so I just hit the ground running, uh, calling, asking, searching out venues. Uh, my buddy Vin, he came with me, and we were looking at all different options all over the place, 
And it seemed like every time uh, we would make an ask or we would approach a venue, we were told no. And we heard no and no and no until finally seven times we were told no. You can't meet here. You're not welcome here. It doesn't fit our mission. It doesn't fit our vision. And I didn't know what to do Um, because, again, I I thought we were going to do an Easter worship service. Um, I thought I thought this is what we were supposed to do. And finally, we got to a place um, where I was faced with fears of, hey, is this actually going to work out? And I had to cling to God's prior faithfulness. And that moment when I was faced with and I. We're starting a church, and we can't even find a venue to meet in. The school's not even getting back to us. Is this going to work out? And what I went back to was a moment when we first moved into our house in Canyon City. And as we were unloading and unpacking our house, a neighbor across the street named Miss Debbie came across and got to know us. And she was so excited that we were moving into the neighborhood in Atusa. Um, and she came across and essentially said, I don't know why, but I just feel like you're supposed to have it. She hands us a map of the whole neighborhood. First and last names of everybody in the neighborhood. So Ruth and I can pray for them, so we can get to know them. And it was in that moment that I reflected back to and remembered, we set foot in Salmon Creek because we were called to start a church for people who didn't know Jesus. And there, a neighbor who's not even a follower of Jesus hands us a map of our whole neighborhood so we can be able to pray for them and get to know them. And so I had to remember back about God's prior faithfulness. And so to continue the story about what we did for Easter, as we gathered our team together, and I had to share that what we were planning wasn't working. And frankly, that we didn't have a venue, and as a young leader and a pastor, I was absolutely terrified. I was going to stand in front of a group of people who I was inviting to be a part of a new church start and say, I don't know. I don't know why it's not working out. I don't, I don't know. I, I, I don't know what to do. We had planned. We had prepared. Even our gatherings up to this point had all been oriented around a a worship service for Easter. And so in that gathering, we just started throwing out some other ideas and brainstorming. And what was so cool was we had one of our other team members said this. They said, let's pray about it. Let's seek God. And so we spent some time together in prayer asking God what he actually wanted us to do with Easter. After that, we began to brainstorm some ideas, and we threw out different things. And eventually what came out of that is, hey, let's do a party in the park. And so we worked towards that, and we did that. We did on Easter, Sunday afternoon of Easter, we threw a party in the park right in the neighborhood by us, and we had over 107 people come out to that party in the park. Praise God for that. We didn't plan it. What I love about this picture is this lady brought a donkey because she loved so much about what we were doing. I didn't plan that. If I would have planned that, it would have been lame. Uh, but, but, but I didn't. 
she thought what we were doing was so cool to just be a blessing to the community. She went back home, brought her donkey so the kids could pet it. And what that showed me once again, that God is at work in ways that I can't quantify or explain. God is on the move. And am I going to trust him? And what's so crazy is two days after we did that event, I get a call from Gary at the American Legion. He says, Kyle, I want to come in and uh, I want you to come in and we got to talk. We, you asked us uh, if you can meet here for we- weekly services in the fall. I've got an answer for you. I'm super nervous by this point. Like, I have no idea what's going to happen, how that's going to look. Show up two days later and Gary says, okay, so now typically uh, we, we rent for a four-hour time slot. It costs about $450. Okay, I'm expecting, yeah, we're going to charge you a little bit more. Gary turns around and he says, we, wanna, we don't want to cap it at four hours. We want to give you kind of unlimited time uh, in our space, and we're only going to charge you $100 a week. And he said, I want to put this offer on the table also. He said, if you're willing to do, redo, you see, see the drop-down ceiling tiles and the kind of the white walls. He said, if you're willing to paint the white walls and redo the drop-down ceiling tiles, we'll let you go rent-free for a year. Yeah. Like, I couldn't have planned that. I can't make that happen. But God was at work, and we needed to trust him. When we were banging our head against the wall, this is what we're supposed to do. God had a different plan. And so actually, here in the middle of July, uh, July, like, it's like 18th or 19th, we're going to have an opportunity. Our team of people that God's been gathering together are going to have an opportunity to paint that American Legion and redo the drop-down ceiling tiles. So if that's something just for, if that's something you're interested in, come find me. We'd love your help. But see, to put faith over fear, it means that we have to trust that God's plan is best. And we don't always see God's best until we're on the other side of trying circumstances. Some of you right now are in the midst of trying circumstances. You're trying to discern the will of God. You're suffering in some way. And you just can't, you can't quantify it. And you can't even figure out quite why. I've got to be honest with you. You might not know the answer to why until you're on the other side. So my encouragement for you is if we look at David in this psalm, you have to go back to God's prior faithfulness and trust that God, the same God that was and is is the same God that is today and will rescue you and provide relief in our circumstances today. And too often, frankly, we try to circumvent suffering and hard times today. We, we, we think it's easier to just avoid it. And so we, we avoid suffering oftentimes at all costs. But here's what I have to say, is the world is watching us in our suffering as much as they watch us in our success. Our kids uh, play a game. As church planners, it's kind of scary, but uh, they play a game. The game that our kids play is they role play other adults in our lives. Meaning, yes, they, we find them playing Sam and Jared. Yes, we find them playing the branch church and Dave and Lori. Um, but we also find that they role play other adults in our lives. And that's scary. 
you talk about whispers and fears because they're mimicking what they see and what they experience around them. And, and as, a, as a dad and as a pastor, it's like, man, wh- what are they going to mimic? What are they going to latch onto? What are they going to do? Are they going to get corrupted? How is this going to play out? What if they see someone do something else that we don't like? How, how, is that, how does that work out? And I can't always control what they see, but I can honestly and transparently follow Jesus and give them a reason for why we do, Ruth and I do, what we do. And so the Christian life is all about adopting the character and priorities of Jesus. So we become like Jesus in our shoes. And so just another question for reflection. As you think about you in your suffering, as you think about you in your present circumstances, maybe your present circumstances are even good. Maybe things are just peachy and good. But if you and your kids were watching, you live your faith. What would they be imitating? In the hard times and in the good times. And here's the kicker. Your kids are watching. But your kids aren't the only ones watching. Your unbelieving neighbor is watching. Your coworker who, kn- who knows that you attend church occasionally is watching. How do you respond to the boss? Why, do you, why are you getting angry? Are you gracious and forgiving? Are you quick-tempered and loud-mouthed and ungrateful or do you lack joy? Are you pushing a political agenda or are you pushing honest followership of Jesus? And if we're imitating the faith of Jesus, it includes suffering. It it includes a perceived lack of success. And it will include faith over fear in the way of Jesus in trying and in good circumstances and acknowledging that others are watching. And are we going to let those whispers, you probably know what I'm talking about when I said whispers, those voices in your head that, that start to ask the convicting or challenging questions that, 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 that bring about fear, And are you going to follow Jesus and be obedient to his way? Or are you going to let the whispers cause you to shrink back in fear? By the end of the psalm, as David wrestles with this tension for 20 or so verses, uh, we get to this point. Verse 25, it says this. I will give praise in the greatest congregation because of you. I will fulfill my vows before those who fear you. The humble will eat and be satisfied. Those who seek the Lord will praise him. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord. All the families of the nations will bow down before you. For kingship belongs to the Lord. He rules over the nations. All who prosper on the earth will eat and bow down. All those who go down to the dust will kneel before him. Even the one who cannot preserve his life, their descendants will serve him. The next generation will be told about the Lord. They will come and tell a people yet to be born about his righteousness and what he has done. And it's at the end of the psalm where the name Generations Church is born. That both the healthy, the robust, the suffering, those who are nearing the grave and all beyond them, 
the story of God's faithfulness will go on and on to new generations, even to those who are yet to be born. See, no matter how bleak the spiritual statistics seem, no matter how crazy our world seems today, circumstances are far from ideal as we look out maybe at our country, you look at social media, and you feel like the sky is falling, you listen to the news, and you just feel like, man, everything is so chaotic and far from ideal. Remember this, God is on the throne. And in the midst of suffering, we can still offer praise. Why? Because it was on a day 2,000 years ago that a man hung on a cross for your sin and my sin. And he didn't just die on that cross. He was raised from the grave. And on that darkest day when he was on the cross, he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And all seemed lost. All hope seemed lost. And there, Israel waited and looked. There's the Messiah. There was the chosen one. What is he doing? Dying. And as Jesus cried out, he reminds the people listening that God has not forgotten his people. Because he is there hanging on a cross. And on that cross, he did not stay. He rose three days later. People mocked the Son of God that dark day. We have hope because of him. See, that's why we're here today, 2,000 years later, is because the story of a crucified and risen Savior goes on and on and on to the next generation. And that's the message that's not supposed to stop with you. It is supposed to go on and on and on. So who are you sharing it with? Who are you living for? Are you going to shrink back in fear about the message that is there to bring hope about a God who moved on behalf of you? Are you going to be filled with faith? So our name, Generations Church, we say this. We are simply everyday people committed to expanding God's family together because of Jesus for generations to come. And you all are part of that story. You all have a story to tell about a crucified and risen Savior. Will you tell that story? And will you help us tell that story to others? There are three ways, simple ways, that you could jump in with us. To help that story, to really continue to express the vision of the branch and make him known. Three ways, you can pray for us. We have these wristbands. Every time I speak, I tell about them. As we got these wristbands that just talk about Psalm 22, they've got our vision on it. You can, that is just a simple reminder for you to be praying for us. And it's got our website inside. I handed one to my bank teller the other day. She was like, so tell me about your church and was able to just hand her the wristband. The website's on the inside. You can be praying for us and this reminds you to do that. You can provide. Maybe you feel led to join us uh, just financially. And just to to give, to contribute to the work that's happening. And lastly, uh, we've got several events coming up. And we're going to talk about that weeks and months to come. Uh, You can just show up, and maybe you're called to join us at these events, serve alongside of us. Uh, We would love to have you. And the reason that invitation uh, for those three things I think is so powerful is because right now the Branch Church is committed 
making Jesus made known for generations to come. And you're invited to participate in that. Would you do that both in your individual life by living out faith over fear and also in praying and joining with us at Generations Church? So I don't know when the next generation or the generation on that will be told about the Lord, but I know how. And it's through faithful men and women putting faith over fear. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, I just, I thank you for today. I thank you that you sent Jesus to die on the cross for our sins and that we have that hope of eternal life because of him. I pray that today we walk out of here knowing that you love us and desire us to be caught up in your story. May we be people who are passionate about following you and just honest about our followership with you, with those around us. May we be courageous. May we be filled with faith. Thank you for your love and for your grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want to thank him for the update and the challenge. In fact, next Sunday, we're calling it Invitation Sunday. Who might you know that it would take a little faith out of your heart to, to invite to church next Sunday? We're going to be sending out nine students to camp, uh, summer camp, the following week. And next Sunday, we're going to pray over them at this service. And they're going to have a great message from the Word of God on integrity. Integrity. And so I uh, just want to invite you to invite someone in your life that you have, maybe haven't yet or maybe re-invite them to come to church next Sunday for our Invitation Sunday. We're going to have a blast. Uh, before we leave today, make sure you turn in your card. Thank you for doing that for us. Make sure it gets into one of these green planter boxes. Could someone uh, in this um, seated area get the green uh, um, planter box in the back there and circulate it around so we can collect these in the seated area? We appreciate that. Thank you, Susan. Uh, there are these little wristbands that Kyle and Ruth will have available as you leave. And so make sure you take one or more and pass them around. I think they'll give you a handful if you're, if you're able to give them out. They would love that, right? <laughs> so, hey, and uh, as we um, close our service today, make sure you get your kids before you go. Help yourself to the rest of the food and refreshments. Make sure you connect with somebody before you go. And please take the little flag. If you'd like to take a flag home, just grab one. And uh, may you and your family enjoy uh, and celebrate Independence Day coming up this week. Let's be standing as we uh, pray and uh, have our final song. I think there's a challenge between the men and the women on this song. Uh, you've already been introduced to it, so enjoy uh, the challenge. God, we love you. Thank you for uh, the faith that will always be able to overcome our fears. Thank you for being there for us, for setting the example through Jesus for how we can live victoriously. May you receive the glory and the honor and the praise in his holy name. Amen. Thanks for coming, everybody. Sing out of this song. You guys ready? I raise a hallelujah in the presence of my enemies. 
little louder. Sing a little louder. Sing a little louder. Sing a little louder. 